you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Very fine Nazis. Don't laugh. There's nice Nazis. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Right? I got the feeling that something right. Very fine. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., people-powered radio. Also 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California. Up in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In Washington, D.C. on 105.5 FM. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik, amongst other fine affiliates, five days a week blanketing planet Earth. I am your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. A very, very busy show, as has been the case every day this week. And frankly, every day since, oh, I don't know, January 20 or so. Uh, we will get to uh, the Green News Report with Desi Doyen a little bit later in this show, as well as, I hope, your calls at 818-985-5735 if you've got any little thing on your mind. Uh, for the moment, there's this. President Trump announces today that he is shutting down two jobs councils amid a wave of resignations by executives in the wake of the president's response to the violence in Charlottesville over the weekend. Uh, on Twitter today, he wrote, rather than putting pressure on the business people of the Manufacturing Council and Strategy and Policy Forum, I am ending both. Thank you all, he tweeted. This, of course, comes from Fox News, so you know it's extra true and not fake news. The statement came amid multiple reports, however, that the Strategic and Policy Forum, a group of top business leaders, had already decided amongst themselves to disband before Donald Trump announced that he was disbanding them. <laughs> this uh, the um, Strategic and Policy Forum is separate from the Manufacturing Council, which we've been talking about this week, which had seen multiple resignations since Trump's initial weekend comments uh, about Charlottesville. Uh, those resignations have been accelerating uh, and uh, once again did so after the president doubled down on his remarks on Tuesday at Trump Tower that both sides were responsible for the violence over the weekend. 
The exodus from the manufacturing board continued even after Trump's tweet today. Fox reports the head of United Technologies, Greg Hayes, announced his resignation uh, minutes after the president's announcement and minutes before Trump's tweet. Campbell Soup CEO Denise Morrison announced her departure, specifically citing the president's controversial remarks on Tuesday, saying in a statement that racism and murder are unequivocally reprehensible and not morally equivalent to anything else that happened in Charlottesville. I believe the president should have been and still needs to be unambiguous on that point, she said. Following yesterday's remarks from the president, I cannot remain on the Manufacturing Jobs Initiative. Inga Thulin, CEO of manufacturing giant 3M, also resigned on Wednesday from the council, And six others had resigned from that council since Saturday. And so rather than uh, Trump admitting how he screwed up, he just said, oh, I'm canceling the council. What council? I don't know anything about the council. Yesterday, of course, he said he had plenty of CEOs to replace those who were dropping out. I guess that's not the case because now he has had to uh, shut down uh, two of them. One of them was shut down by itself on its own. Uh, even before Donald Trump claimed that he was doing it. So your thoughts on what's going on here. Is the bottom finally dropping out for this president? Uh, you've got business leaders now abandoning him. Uh, is it finally, uh, are we are we anywhere near rock bottom at this point after he failed to specifically condemn Nazis and white supremacists marching in Charlottesville and murdering one of the counter-protesters? Uh, before two days later, finally condemning the neo-Nazis by name on Monday, only to backtrack at a press conference on Tuesday, blaming, quote, both sides once again and equating the uh, the counter-protesters with the Nazis and white supremacists and Klan members. Um, what's happening here? What should happen here? And does it have anything at all to do with the statues and monuments in reality? Uh, We had a a former neo-Nazi on the show earlier this week who said, no, it's not really about that in the least. Uh, Is this a a turning point at long last for this presidency? We'll take your calls on that and more shortly at 828. I'm sorry, 818-985-5735. That's 818-985-5735. If you'd like to get in line right now or you can tweet me at the Brad blog. Uh, But first, no matter what's going on, ultimately, the way out of this entire mess, as usual, uh, and in particular, what brought it all about in the first place, uh, how we even got to this point, no matter all of that, this will require Americans to turn out at the polls like never before at the very next opportunity. And that's why both Trump and all of his Republican friends, yes, even the ones who are pretending to condemn Donald Trump right now, Trump and all of those Republicans are still working very hard to make it as difficult as possible for people like you, yes, you, to be able to participate in what is supposed to be your representative democracy. So it is with little surprise, I suppose, that we cite Ari Berman's report at um, at Mother Jones today. On Tuesday, Ari writes, uh, hours after President Donald Trump refused to blame white nationalists for the violence in Charlottesville, a federal court ruled that congressional districts drawn by Texas Republicans after the 2010 election were enacted with racially discriminatory intent. 
against Latino and African-American voters. This is the seventh time, the seventh time since 2011 that a federal court has found uh, that Texas intentionally discriminated against minority voters through its redistricting plans and strict voter ID laws. This repeated finding of intentional discrimination means that federal courts could once again require Texas to clear any changes to voting laws or procedures with the federal government, a requirement that was in place until the Supreme Court struck down part of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Uh, Of course, Texas is not alone here in North Carolina. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals found that Republican uh, in the legislature there tried to disenfranchise African-American voters with almost surgical precision. In Wisconsin, a federal judge found that Republicans cut early voting locations and hours to, quote, suppress the reliably Democratic vote of Milwaukee's African-Americans in Ohio. African-American voters were twice as likely to be purged from the rolls by Republican Secretary of State John Husted as white voters were in Alabama. After passing a strict photo ID uh, voting restriction, Republicans then closed DMV offices in eight of the 10 counties with the highest non-white populations of registered voters. Berman argues that it's impossible to truly denounce white supremacy without confronting suppression of minority voters. Another state that Berman cites is Indiana, where a new analysis from the Indy Star and two lawsuits in Indiana, Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana, head of Donald Trump's so-called Election Integrity Commission, Mike Pence, Uh, underscores these issues yet again in fairly stark terms uh, in this report, even as this stuff tends to fly under the corporate media radar until it's frankly far too late to do anything about it for the next election. So Indy Star reports, uh, let me summarize, well, very quickly, uh, they say state and local Republicans have expanded early voting in Republican-dominated areas and restricted it in Democratic areas. According to an Indy Star investigation, uh, prompting a significant change in central Indiana voting patterns from 2008 to 2016, GOP officials expanded early voting stations in Republican dominated Hamilton County, for example, according to the analysis, and decreased them in the state's biggest Democratic hotbed. Marion County. That made voting more convenient in Republican areas for people with transportation issues or busy schedules. And the results, the paper reports, were immediate. Most telling, Hamilton County saw a 63 percent increase in absentee voting from 2008 to 2016, while Marion County saw a 26 percent decline. Absentee ballots, uh, they call they're used at early voting stations. They call them early absentee voting. So a huge bump in uh, early absentee voting in the Republican areas, a decrease in the Democratic areas where they had uh, restricted and closed early voting stations. Uh, It was a great concept to open those voting stations, said uh, Hamilton County Clerk Kathy Richardson, a Republican citing the rise in absentee voting in Hamilton County and saying that was largely a result of the addition of two early voting stations, which brought the total there to three. 
Other central Indiana Republican strongholds, including Boone, Johnson, Hendricks County, also added early voting sites and enjoyed corresponding increase in absentee voter turnout. But not Marion County, which tends to vote Democratic and has a large African-American population. During that same period, from 2008 to 2016, the number of early voting stations declined from three to just one in Marion County as Republicans repeatedly blocked the expansion. So they used to have three early voting uh, stations there. And then after 2008, after Barack Obama won uh, for the first time in Indiana, for the first time a Democratic presidential candidate had won in Indiana since, uh, I think, 1964, since Lyndon Johnson. Uh, After that, They had to shut those uh, early voting stations in Marion County and expand them in the white areas. And it seems to have worked Uh, Four attempts to expand early voting in Marion County uh, had been approved by Democrats there, but were blocked by the county's lone Republican representative on the election board. Uh, The former Marion County clerk, Beth White, a Democrat who promoted the expansion, says it's a deliberate attempt by certain people in our government to make voting hard. Oh, do you think? When asked about uh, the analysis, legislative leaders, including uh, Indiana Senate President Pro Temp David Long, Republican, and House Speaker Brian Bosma, also a Republican, would not return numerous requests for comment. Or respond to questions submitted in writing. Indiana's Republican governor now, uh, Governor Eric Holcomb, who took the place of Vice President Mike Pence, who had been the governor, uh, and Secretary of State Connie Lawson deferred to county officials for comment. No one wants to comment because they were caught. That's exactly what they did. Two separate federal lawsuits now have been filed against the state. According to Bradblog.com's legal analyst Ernie Canning, who writes about the suits today at the Bradblog and joins us now very quickly uh, to explain them. Ernie Canning is, as I said, our long-serving, long-toiling, wildly underpaid legal analyst at Bradblog.com. He's a retired attorney, author, Vietnam vet, and during the presidential campaign, he served as a senior advisor to Veterans for Bernie. Ernie Canning, sir, welcome to the Bradcast. Do we have Ernie there? Oh, th- th- I'm here. Can you hear me? We do. We got you now, Ernie. Hey, how are you? Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, so, uh, as I said, uh, Barack Obama won the state of Indiana in 2008. Uh, for the first time, a Democrat has won since 1964. Uh, and that was due to big support from Lake and Marion counties, uh, where they have big Democratic African-American uh, uh, a voter turnout. At the time, Marion County had three early voting uh, sites. They restricted it to one, uh, and but expanded it everywhere else in uh, Republican counties. Coincidence, or was that a direct response, as you see it, uh, and as these lawsuits see it, to what happened in 2008 in Indiana? Well, in the case of the early voting sites, what the Republicans did, it, you know, they they rolled back the, the two sites in 2010, and in order to make sure they keep it that way, uh, they passed a law. Uh, to, one of the things about the law was that they, they passed a law that any, um, any uh, county that had more than 325,000 uh, registered voters, mm-hmm. they had, they, their, uh, their, election board, their local election boards could not change the rules 
unless it was unanimous. Mm-hmm. So once once they had changed it in Marion County, it meant that a single Republican on the board has consistently refused to reinstate the additional early voting sites. And to give you an idea of, of just how impact, the only two counties, by the way, that applies to are the two counties that, <laughs> that uh, Obama won by landslides. He had, uh, in Lake, he had 66.7% of the vote, and and in Marion, uh, 63.8, and that mm-hmm. was the reason he carried the state. Yep. So what they did was they specifically targeted these counties, tried to make it sound like neutral by saying, oh, we're only doing it for counties over 325,000 registered voters. Well, there are 92 counties in the state. There are only two with, with over that amount. <laughs> of and course. And just happened to be the ones with, with, uh, with a high mi- minority amount. So what happened in is they there's a single... Uh, uh, downtown, uh, Marion includes Indianapolis, there's a single downtown early voting site uh, available to nearly 700,000 registered voters in that county. And and you compare that to Johnson County, so it's one site for every 700,000 voters. Right. Johnson County, which is a white Republican county, a, a joining county, has only 107,000 voters. And of those uh, uh, their sites, uh, 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 they have uh, five satellite sites plus the central site. So there's six early voting sites, uh, oh. which is one in every 17,924 voters in Johnson County as compared to one in 700,000. And the other problem is that it, this site is located downtown. There's very a little uh, free parking. People have to tr- drive 20 miles round trip if they live in one of the outskirts for, for Marion County. To get there, and if you don't have a car, you're looking at about uh, uh, two hours uh, uh, one way for public transportation just to get the the polls to do this early voting. And so. and, and it should be noted, by the way, this all happened under uh, well, while Mike Pence was the governor there, uh, who is now who now heads Donald Trump's so-called Presidential Election Integrity Commission. So he signed off on these uh, changes to election laws, and so did Indiana Secretary of State Connie Law. Lawson, uh, who who oversaw all of this, she is also a member of this phony uh, Donald Trump voter suppression commission. But it, it a lot of it did happen under Barack Obama uh, and his Department of Justice. Uh, d- they did not uh, sue, uh, to your knowledge, to stop this from happening, or did it? Was it a moot point after the Supreme well, Court had lifted the? Uh, the restriction uh, in the Voting Rights Act on this. There's two different issues. One was the was the uh, precinct consolidation, and this one, uh, this one, uh, no, the lawsuit had had not been filed until subsequently. Uh, this is a uh, one suits by uh, Common Cause, mm-hmm. and the other one is by the uh, uh, is by the NAACP, and and I think uh, uh, NAACP may may be involved in both lawsuits, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, in any event, uh, what happened with regard to the um, uh, to the Common Cause lawsuit, which I believe was filed earlier this year, uh, is that's the one that's, that that they're seeking an injunction uh, to try and force reopening of it, and they're they're seeking to change the rule that says that that one uh, Republican commissioner can can change that. What they did with Lake County, and that was this was actually after Pence had had left, they passed a new law this year. There's 92 counties. The law specifically targeted only Lake County, which just happens to be the second largest African-American uh, population in, in Indiana. And 
and the largest uh, uh, Hispanic uh, population in uh, or Latino population in uh, uh, in Indiana. And what they did was they targeted that one for a reduction in the number of, uh, or they call it consolidation, of the number of precincts. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, um, and, and there's a study that was done in Florida on this too, it, it's kind of micro, uh, uh, a micro form of gerrymandering where what they did was they specifically targeted uh, the minority districts or Democratic-leaning districts to reduce the number of polling places. Indiana has the shortest time window for, for election day voting. Uh, polls close at 6, 6 p.m. So if you're um, working class and you're working full-time and you have to get to the polls, you've got very little time to do it, and, and now they're making it harder because uh, uh, they're they're reducing the number of places and a lot of people may not even know where their new polling place is going to be and so that's all involved in the second lawsuit that, that was recently filed uh, by Mark Elias you know the, the attorney that had represented uh, uh, the Democratic Party for years in, in, a, in a number of these uh, cases so what's happened there is out of 92 counties they pick one county which just happens to be heavily Democratic and they're reducing the number of sites where they can vote and uh, and uh, trying to suppress the vote in that manner. It seems so obvious. It seems so clear. And I can't imagine that any court could look at this and not see what it is, uh, what what it is that the Republicans are doing here. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about Indiana today, but state after state. That's why I mentioned what, uh, you know, happened in Texas again uh, this week, I think it was just yesterday, finding that uh, once again, the state of Texas intentionally, the Republicans who run the state intentionally tried to suppress minority votes there. But it happens in state after state. So as you know, we're hearing and I've got a, tons of people are calling in here. So I want to get to the phones here very shortly, Ernie. But, um, it, you know, it's to hear in one breath these Republicans uh, denouncing, condemning, rebuking Donald Trump. Uh, for his statements and at the same time keeping those very people, those very, uh, you know, minorities, uh, Hispanics, African-Americans from being able to participate in their own democracy. Uh, it, it's kind of amazing. So very quickly, last uh, question for now. Um, these things take a really long time. Uh, these court cases to resolve themselves. And that's a good thing in that our uh, judicial system, you know, works slowly and there are places to appeal, et cetera. But now we are, you know, starting to look down the barrel of the 2018 primary elections. Can this be resolved in time for 2018, Ernie? It depends on whether they can get preliminary injunctions issued in these cases. They're going to have to move really quick. As you recall, they're You've got the Purcell principle from the Supreme Court that you can't make changes too close to an election. So if they're going to do something, they're going to have to get these these injunctions issued as quickly as possible uh, if they're if they're going to be able to salvage uh, voting rights for uh, for minorities in Indiana for for 2018. And the problem is, as you know, that, that there are this is going on in state after state mm-hmm. after state. It's it's a form of entrenchment, of trying to, in, once they're in power, to change the rules so that they stay in power, even if democratically they are, uh, be, the Republicans become very unpopular, as certainly at least with respect to the 
Trump regime, that appears to be the case. Yeah, it's uh, they can get away. I mean, the, these cases in, in Texas that I mentioned and that Ari uh, writes about at Mother Jones, this is going back to redistricting that happened in 2010. And here we are in 2018. And uh, they're still fighting about it and they're still looking, uh, you know, at special elections. It's still going to go to the Supreme Court and everything else. Uh, People need to pay attention to this, even with all of the insanity from Donald Trump. Pay attention because the way to counter a Donald Trump uh, is what, uh, you know, comes to the ballot box. And that's why we cover it so much on this show and at bradblog.com. And Ernie, I thank you for your coverage today at Bradblog, folks. I'm going to point folks towards the article for much more detail on the horrifying specifics here. Uh, his, uh, it's at bradblog.com, headline, Federal Lawsuits Challenge Indiana's Wildly Disparate Precinct and early voting site laws. Uh, And frankly, that is also true around much of the country, not just Indiana. Ernie Canning, uh, really appreciate Uh, your time today. Yeah. uh, Real quick, if I can can make the point. Sure. Uh, If you recall in 2013, when the Supreme Court gutted Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, that could have blocked a lot of these laws, uh, the Chief Justice claimed that, gee, things have changed here. We don't have the level Mm -hmm. of racial discrimination we had back in the 60s. I think Charlottesville indicates something else. It sure does seem like that. Good point, Ernie. Thank you very much. Ernie Canning, uh, check out his work at bradblog.com. Appreciate you jumping on with us here at the last second. Ernie Canning, our uh, long-serving legal analyst at bradblog.com. Thanks, Ernie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. uh, Let me get to uh, your calls at 818-985-5735. I know the phones are going crazy here. Let me get to one before we go to a a break here. Uh, Mike in Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, Mr. Trump has quit reputation as our first pro-Nazi president. He needs to change the topic. For instance, uh, he could go to Europe and maybe lay a wreath at Bitburg SS Cemetery, for instance. Uh, That would be nice of him. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that because, uh, frankly, it will bring more attention to the reason why he's going to do it. Uh, but but I take your point, Mike. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 818-985-5735. Let me do uh, one more here before we go to a break. Uh, hey, uh, who am I? Who do I have here? Uh, Jose in, um, in Los Angeles. Welcome to the broadcast. Oh, hi, Brad. Keep hey. up the good work with your show. I really like it. Thank uh, you, but sir. But my thing, well, I just have a question. I guess we should, um, it's good that we keep the pressure on Trump. However, we need to start doing the same to Pence. You know, for my, my question to him would be, what's a, what's a devout Christian's duty to make sure that all citizens of this country play a productive role in our democracy? Yep. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Appreciate that, Jose. Yeah, I mean, this has been uh, sort of driving me crazy. We've been covering a lot of what Mike Pence uh, has done for uh, regarding voter suppression and the irony that he would now head the president's quote unquote election integrity commission after he has been uh, shutting down registrations, pretending there's a, uh, you know, huge attack on uh, voter registration fraud going on across the state of Indiana. Uh, He needs to be held accountable as well. He's sort of been uh, sliding under the radar in uh, Trump's huge, insane shadow. But uh, let me get a quick break here. We'll get to more of your calls. 818-985-5735. If you're on the line, hold on. I know that uh, a lot of you want to get in on this. Take a quick break, and we'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs) 
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Yes, please do. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Is something happening here? Is this now a real turning point in support for this president? Will Republicans, particularly Republicans in the House, where impeachment hearings would start uh, and the, uh, the Senate, where an impeachment trial would be held, will they finally stop supporting this president? Will Republican voters finally turn away from him? His approval has been dropping uh, among them, but it's still in the mid-70s or so. Is it different this time after uh, Charlottesville and after Donald Trump's equating Nazis and uh, KKK and uh, <laughs> white nationalists with those who uh, who protest against those same people. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Mitt Romney, who does not tweet very often, just three times over the past month, uh, he responded to Trump's both sides-ism, um, saying, uh, no, it's not the same. One side is racist, bigoted Nazis. The other opposes racism and bigotry. Morally different universes. John McCain said there's no moral equivalency between racists and Americans standing up to defy hate and bigotry. The president of the United States should say so. Is the bottom finally dropping out here for Trump or does this all go away after the next crisis, either real or created by this president? 818-985-5735. Um, I want to play this uh, one clip before we get to your calls. Um, This is actually uh, when even Fox News, Fox News has uh, trouble running interference for a Republican president. You know that things are getting rough. So on a Fox segment today, uh, host Abby Huntsman, she's the daughter of uh, former Utah governor, now Trump's ambassador to Russia, John Huntsman. She had a Republican and a Democratic strategist on her show to talk about the question of taking down Confederate monuments, but both guests wanted to talk only about Trump's response to Charlottesville and his insane press conference yesterday uh, when he equated Nazis with the left. And uh, both guests actually became teary, teary, both Republicans and Democrat uh, during their responses here. Here's uh, Huntsman asking Republican strategist and apparently occasional White House advisor Gianno Caldwell an African-American himself, about what's going on here. And uh, in response, he, he expresses his sort of stunned disbelief and disappointment and uh, uh, sense of betrayal over Trump's comments about the violence in Charlottesville. There are good people on both sides of this debate. We talk about keeping these statues up. 
people that I've talked to say, this is about history. How do we move forward? How do we learn from those mistakes if we just tear everything down? You know, I, I come today with a very heavy heart. Last night, I couldn't sleep at all because President Trump, our president, has literally betrayed the conscience of our country, the very moral fabric in which we've made progress when it comes to race relations in America. He's failed us. And it's very unfortunate that our president would say things like he did in that press conference yesterday when he says, well, there's, you know, good people on the side of, of the Nazis. They weren't all Nazis. They weren't all white supremacists. Mr. President, people, good people don't pile around with Nazis and white supremacists. Maybe they don't consider themselves white supremacists and Nazis, but certainly they hold those views. This has become very troubling. And for anyone to come on any network and defend what President Trump did and said at that press conference yesterday is completely lost and the potential to be morally bankrupt. No. I am sorry. So, no, I, I, I believe that. And I'm being very honest. As someone who, who's been talking about these issues for a very long time, I'm sorry that this is where we are right now. And I hope the president learns a lesson from his press conference on yesterday. It's disturbing. That was a Republican strategist Gianno Caldwell uh, tearing up on Fox News, responding to uh, to the events of, uh, of of last weekend and of this week since with uh, Trump's responses to all of this. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Your thoughts on all of this. Gigi in Pasadena. Hey, Gigi, welcome to the broadcast. Hi, Brad. First of all, darling, thanks for all you do. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you're welcome, dear. Listen, um, as a biracial person um, in, in the, the you know, native-born, uh, will be 70 in December, uh, American, um, and I'm just going to describe this just because it's, it's to my point. I'm biracial with blue eyes, believe me. Um, I understand because of the way I, my life has been. It's, I've lived quite a charmed life. In the last two months, I have gotten two tickets, one for having a cell phone. I wasn't using it, although the policeman said I was. Didn't get the ticket. And then secondly, for going 95 miles an hour, <clears throat> because my girlfriend and I took a Thelma and Louise trip across country a month ago. And um, both times, I got what my, what my daughter calls gift certificates, because the blue eyes and the whole bit. And I have to say, the hardest thing, what we have to do, this is... It, it, we have to uh, be willing to give up that white privilege, and that's what it is. It and and that's the that's the first thing. And quickly, I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to hop off because my battery's going down. Secondly, I heard something really great today. We all can do one thing, and you know what I heard today. I wish I could take credit for it uh, on one of the other programs. Is this: if each one of us reaches out to someone with a different opinion and tries to have like a cup of coffee with them or whatever, go walk in the park, walk the dogs together, and listen to why that other person feels the things that happened this past weekend um, were okay. If each of us does that, that is actually something we can each do in real time. It's going to be scary, but I'm going to take that. 
All of us can do that, and I'm going to take that step. And my battery's running down. Love you, and I'll go listen on the radio now. Love you back, Gigi. Uh, Thank you for that thought. And, uh, yeah, reaching out to people who disagree with you. But, you know, we we have sort of self-segregated ourselves in this country to the point where uh, a lot of people don't even know anyone who disagrees with them. But I do take your point, Gigi, and I do appreciate the call. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. The, uh, is it, uh, uh, Harvey in St. Louis, uh, is this the Harvey that I think it is? Yes, this is the one you think it is. Hi, Dad. Am I in trouble? Okay. That's, that's my father. Hey, Harvey, what's going on, sir? So, well, I'm going to try to be real, real brief with my comment. Okay. My comment is going to assume that Vice President Pence is more interested in the goodness, the well-being of the country than his own personal ambition. Because there's been a lot of conversation recently about a lot of the cabinet members should quit, or uh, some of the Jewish members, some of the black members, mm-hmm. way uh, rather than their leaving, I think Vice President Pence should try to invoke the 25th Amendment Clause that says that the president is unsuitable. But before doing that, I think he should have a conversation with Ryan and uh, Representative Ryan, and he should agree that neither of them would take the presidency if that uh, 25th Amendment Clause Mm -hmm. is passed. So that the presidency would go to Rex Tillerson. In that case, if it is contested by uh, Trump, uh-huh. I believe that he, the two-thirds majority, would be received in both the House and the Senate. Now, Dad, that's an interesting idea, and yes, this actually is my father. Uh, Dad, I, I think it's a an interesting idea, but two uh, two big problems. One, Mike Pence. Uh, to suggest he would do what is right for the country after we know about Mike, what we know about Mike Pence, after what we just talked about in the previous segment, after his statement today that he thinks it is great what Donald Trump did. Uh, He has uh, apparently no problem with it. He has not condemned it. I don't know that uh, he would. I I don't know where you get the idea that he would put the country first. That's one point. And the other point is I'm not even sure if it would be legal for him to say, the vice president, to say, I will not uh, take the job Uh, for Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, who is third in line for him to say, I would not take the job. I think unless I'm wrong and I could be. as you've reminded me over my many years, uh, I, I think that constitutionally that's not the way it works. I think it can only go to the fourth person in line, um, uh, in this case, Secretary of State Tillerson, if there is not a vice president and not a speaker of the House. So I like well, the idea. I don't. That yeah. Were to be the case, yeah. then one of the conditions would be announced at the time when this vote is passed that as long as he is upheld by the House and the Senate, it has already been decided that he will step aside in favor of Ryan, and Ryan announces he would step aside 
in favor of Tillerson. I think the way to pull it off uh, would be that uh, Pence would actually have to resign as vice president. Tillerson would then have to be named vice president. I mean, it's a mess. I don't I don't I don't think it will work, but I always appreciate the out of the box thinking. And uh, Dad, I'm uh, thank you for calling in. I'm glad I'm not in trouble. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK. Yeah, glad he's listening, though. Doug in uh, Los Angeles, welcome to the broadcast. Hey, how's it going, Brad? Hey, I'm okay. Is this uh, my uh, cousin, Doug? No, it's not. Uh... It, I mean, we, we could be. That's probably a long path we don't want to get into on there. <laughs> but I, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely a Doug. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I wanted to uh, offer an anecdote that I had. There's a, um, what I'll call a, a troll Donald Trump on Facebook. That's a, a fake account that just kind of posts outlandish stuff. He has a ton of followers. Um, mm-hmm. It's... Uh, pretty hilarious the and it poses uh and kind of an, an interesting um real world example because everyone's sort of waiting for uh this is going to be the thing that breaks it all this is going to collapse the trump empire but to, if you follow this uh troll donald trump his uh opponents have no idea it's a fake account so they just think it's donald trump and it goes out of his way to say even more mm-hmm. you know absurd things and everyone defends him that yep. is a trump supporter even fake trump is defended just blindly by his supporters. So this fantasy that we're clinging on to that uh, Trump is in, you know, Nazi Trump has finally come out. Now the world is going to see his base doesn't shift at all. I just read a report today that said 52 percent of uh, people disapprove of, you know, his comments on Charlotte. And, and that's pretty amazing because that means 48 percent. Yeah, oh, we lost you there, Doug, but we heard the end, uh, 48%, uh, yeah, still have no problem. 48%, yeah, 48% are okay with Trump being a Nazi. Yep. That's It's not the 52 that disapprove. It's it's the half of the country is cool with it. His take someone out on Fifth Avenue and shoot him thing is, is the truest word he's ever spoken, and I think that that's what, that's what he gets off on, is this whole God complex of, I can do and say anything, and you're going to worship and obey me. And people love him for that. That's... It's it's almost like he cannot. I see him as this kind of indestructible force at this point, which is the truly terrifying aspect of it. Because we've, I mean, we're talking about we're on the verge of nuclear warfare, and Nazis are walking the street, and fifty percent of the country still approves. I mean, what this is almost cartoonish at this point. You know, Back to the Future Two came true. We elected Biff president, and the world, you know, went to crap. And half the country is still cool with it, though. Thanks, Doug. We're on the path to making America great again. I, it's I, crazy. Yeah, no, it it is crazy, and I have to sort of pinch myself every day that this is going on. I appreciate that call, Doug. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that uh, Doug referred to him as a, a, a Donald Trump as a Nazi. I don't know that he's a Nazi. I don't think that he's a Nazi. I know, actually, I, well, I don't know. I, I don't think that he's a white supremacist. Uh, I, I think that he doesn't have... Dave Roberts, our friend uh, from Vox, uh, had a great uh, Twitter thread that we'll try to get to uh, later in the week, um, if possible, where you know he said that uh, Donald Trump isn't an ist anything. He doesn't understand white nationalism. He doesn't understand white supremacy. He doesn't understand Nazis. He only thing he understands is dominating other people and uh, and his own ego. And, you know, right now he thinks, hey, people are against me. They're criticizing me. I'm going to criticize them back. 
I think I, you know, I don't, maybe I'm naive. Maybe um, maybe he is a Nazi. Uh, I don't think he understands things enough to actually be a Nazi. Uh, our friend Dr. Tucker from Washington Monthly tweets in. The uh, Gianno Caldwell segment you played was stunning. If Charlottesville doesn't wake up certain Republicans, nothing will. Well, the answer may be nothing will. I don't know. Uh, Susan in uh, in the South Bay. Hey, Susan, welcome to the broadcast. Hi. Um, by the way, I do think he is a white supremacist. Um, and he has the requisites. He's also a patriarchal abuser. And I, I'm hoping he ends up in jail for... Um, uh, rape, actually. But the, I just wanted to say the Klan, I actually think we're in a, a positive moment of change where the scales are tipping suddenly in the balance of truth and light, as I've been teaching they would for 30 years. Um, I think we're in that moment. Um, on 9-11, I kept hearing Hitler, Hitler, and that was after being given intuitions of exactly what happened. Excuse the dog, she's being like Trump, <laughs> wanting to be validated. <laughs> um, and when I was listening to um, tr uh, Trump's acceptance speech for his nomination, I literally was given an auditory intuition of the Nazi sirens and the and the trucks rounding up people, an image of the trucks around, and I got chills. All right, don't... So I, I, this is not a surprise to me. But I also want to say the KKK is not just a Southern phenomenon. No. Um, I met on Redondo um, Esplanade uh, a guy with a, uh, who was Klan. Um, and, That's out know, here I in... With him. Yeah. And um, in Connecticut, way back in the eight, um, 80s, uh, we found out the Imperial Wizard of the Connecticut KKK was the Boy Scout and Girl Scout leader. Oh no, they're 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 everywhere, Susan. And I'm gonna and, I'm gonna. And in the Hamptons, yeah. I was threatened by a Klan member. I have yeah. a trademark workshop called Straight Talk about racism. No, they're everywhere, and we have to listen. And Susan, I got I got to run here, uh, but we have to. We have to, you know, confront our history and our present uh, because, yes, this is very much real. And uh, in that sense, I think it is actually uh, a good thing what happened in Charleston because this is now on display for the whole world to see it. Do I have time for one more here? Uh, Baltimore, by the way, the uh, mayor had the Confederate statues removed last night, four different Confederate statues overnight. Uh, they had just voted yesterday uh, in uh, in Baltimore to the city council to remove them. There was some dispute about what would happen to them. Would they be destroyed, melted down? Uh, the mayor says they're going to be moved to a Confederate cemetery. That sounds like a good idea to me. I don't I don't like uh, destroying art or artifacts, to be frank. Um, but I'm happy to take them out of the public square. Very quickly, uh, before we get to our break here and uh, Green News Report, Stephen in Burbank. Hey, Steve. Bert, I'm so I'm so confused, Brad. Um, like during the campaign, Trump was lambasting the corrupt establishment, and when he's talking about permits, and I'm tying in this uh, that uh, counter demonstrators had to have a permit. Well, the, the original demonstrators got the permit to demonstrate. Who were was it they were trying to demonstrate to? And you say, well, the general public, and if citizens of the United States are not the general public to go oppose 
the, the, the oncoming atrocities, I mean, what can we do about it? You know, I mean, even uh, I don't even hear, I don't even know if I heard you say that voter suppression is an exercise of white supremacy. And is, is that may or may not be true, but I happen to believe, I hate that word believe, but I believe that it's true, that it is state power, uh, it is corrupt state power, it is uh leads to oppression, mm-hmm. it leads to tyranny, it leads to uh, things that aren't very desirable for a decent society. Thanks, uh, Stephen. I appreciate uh, that thought. And I think you're absolutely right on the money. And I would add that it was interesting that he had more, uh, that Donald Trump at his press conference had more condemnation uh, for, for the counter-protesters not having a permit than he did for the white supremacist who actually murdered someone. After how, how many years has he been going out and, and uh, after any type of incident yelling terrorism, 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 he couldn't bring himself to say the words. Uh, it's just amazing. All right. Well, let me take a quick break. We'll try to get uh, some more of your calls uh, if we have time here after the break and after the Green News Report. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. What a world. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Oh, yeah, we have to not only save the country, we also have to save the entire planet, don't we? (laughs) Yes, there's that. There's that. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That voice you hear is Desi Doyen. And that music is the uh, siren song for uh, what is our latest. Yeah, we, that's it's still going on, even while everything else is going on. Uh, our latest Green News Report. What I saw is actually extremely very terrible and unimaginable. Hundreds dead in Sierra Leone after massive mudslide caused by torrential rains. You know, it's 8,000 square miles of no oxygen. That can't be good. This year's Gulf of Mexico dead zone is the largest ever recorded. Scientists warn super heat waves will get more frequent. Plus, it's not your imagination, Florida. Sea levels really are rising faster in the southeast. How can that be? We'll find out all of that and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... 
snarky comment. Republicans used to be against lead in the drinking water. Now they're happy to poison their children if it'll make Al Gore sad. (laughs) Well, he is the root of all evil. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, absolutely horrifying, disastrous news out of Sierra Leone today. Yes, it's the latest in a string of extremely deadly extreme weather disasters. In the African nation of Sierra Leone, in the town of Freetown, officials say at least 300 people were killed in the pre-dawn hours on Monday morning as a massive mudslide caused by days of torrential rains and flash floods buried residents in their homes while they slept. Officials say the death toll may get even higher. Rescue operations are underway. Is it too early to tell if there is a uh, climate change fingerprint here? Yes, it is too early for an attribution study, but these extreme torrential downpours are consistent with what scientists have predicted will happen with global warming. In Iraq, the Iraqi government has declared a mandatory holiday due to an extensive and severe heat wave. Civil servants were ordered to remain home because temperatures in the cities of Baghdad and Basra have soared to more than 124 degrees Fahrenheit for more than 10 days straight. Is the finger of climate change on that? Well, again, it is too soon to say, but it is consistent with what scientists predicted. Feels like we're starting to see a pattern here. And now yet another new study projects that such extreme heat waves will get even worse. The Joint Research Center, which is the science and research laboratory of the European Union, in a study released last week, calculated that if humanity does not cut carbon emissions on our current trajectory, we can expect what they called super heat waves to hit regularly in many parts of the world, including Europe and the United States. They say we can expect extended stretches of temperatures above 131 degrees. Mm, Man, those super heat waves? Not so super. Meanwhile, the fossil fuel industry, whose emissions cause the global warming that intensifies extreme weather events like heat waves and floods, are being subsidized by governments to the tune of more than five trillion dollars a year. In a new study, economic researchers at the International Monetary Fund combined two numbers to reach that $5 trillion, direct subsidies to consumers that keep fossil fuel prices low, and producer subsidies, that's direct and indirect payments and tax breaks given to the fossil fuel industry, and also the environmental costs of pollution and health impacts that the fossil fuel industry doesn't pay for, but governments do. The report calculates that government subsidies globally Globally, for the fossil fuel industry, amount to more than 6% of global GDP. But we're told that renewable energy can't survive without government subsidies. (laughs) Exactly. In the United States, in the Gulf of Mexico, this year's dead zone is the largest ever recorded, according to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Dead zones are areas with no oxygen that kill whatever can't swim away fast enough. And that harms Louisiana's commercial shrimping industry. They're caused when nutrient pollution, largely from agricultural runoff like manure and fertilizer, washes into bodies of water. That creates algae blooms that use up all the oxygen. And farming is the primary culprit, according to former NOAA scientist Dan Scavia in an interview with NPR. Most of the nitrogen and phosphorus that drives this problem comes from the upper Midwest. It's coming from agriculture. You know, it's 8,000 square miles of no oxygen. 
That can't be good. Finally, sea levels are rising faster in Florida and other southeastern coastal states than in other parts of the world. Sea levels rise unevenly around the planet, and researchers with the University of Florida have now confirmed that between 2011 and 2015, the sea level in Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, and points farther south rose six times faster than the long-term global average. So sea levels rise at different rates even though it's the same sea? Yes, exactly, due to different underwater geology, for example. Also, warming oceans expand. And it's hitting North Carolina and points south down to Florida. Yeah. Climate change denial country. (laughs) Yes, kind of. And it's not going to get any better. Flood systems that are designed for the last 50 years are not ready for the next 50 years. We're not ready for a lot of this over the next 50 years, I'm afraid. Thank you for much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to. Check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. We've got a lot of extra stories that we just don't have time for in our six minutes. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. It's a Quick update here, Des, from uh, Sierra Leone. Uh, 300, more than 300 dead. There are still 600 missing yes. in that mudslide. Yeah, it was uh, the two-mile-long mudslide there. So, And regarding the, the rising sea levels, Trump uh, in, signed a, an executive order that actually revokes a new Obama-era rule that was supposed to make the federal government plan ahead for rising sea levels when building infrastructure projects, but he revoked that. Of course he did. Why do we need to plan ahead? We like our, our disasters to strike at a moment's notice, apparently. Apparently, Donald Trump does. What happened? Last week, we had a guy who called in who said, uh, I should leave the country. And he was on hold. I was going to get to him, and he hung up. And today, you said we had a white supremacist who called in. I was going to yes. go to him first, and I he hung know, up. I know, I know. But Cowards. I don't know what happened, so Cowards. Uh, or they don't have very long attention spans, which may explain uh, something else as well. Uh, Morris, our old friend. Hey, Mo, you got about 15 seconds or so. Give it to us. Oh, Mo. What happened to Morris? Oh, we don't have what do you him? Call a person? There we go. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, you're on. What do you call a person that operates with sinister impunity? What? A corporation. And listen, I want to give a shout out to the Russians for exposing how the Democratic Party has an undemocratic election process. Thanks a lot, Brad. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Morris. I'm not sure we should blame the Russians for that, but that is for another day. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and my guest today, Ernie Canning of Bradblog.com, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it for free anytime at Bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, which will be tomorrow, I demand it. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.